More draft talk today. Raphael Barlow breaks down Brandon Miller tape, and we go twinning, talking a little Thompson Twins tape as well. And then it's SU's feet time. All today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your pods. That includes YouTube, Doug Branson, the very serious dance. Once again, we're doing this consecutively. You can find his very serious work as well on his Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com. You can listen to me on WFNZ every weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. I didn't see you do these little interview segments with Raphael Barlow Mm -hmm. of Locked On NBA Big Board, Mm -hmm. but did you do the dance with him? Did you show him a little of the moves, or was that even more serious? You got right down to business. I saved those for you, baby. You're the only one that gets my dance moves. I'd feel a little jealous. I was going to act angry like you didn't do it, but I'm secretly happy that you did not dance with one Raphael Barlow. Brandon Miller coming up next. This is going to be interesting because Victor, Scoot, now Brandon, third overall selection, most likely. Some people like other guys, I guess, instead of Brandon. Like Now we're getting into the part where it opens up. It doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion that Brandon Miller is the third overall pick. What did Rafael Barlow have to say? Here's his conversation with Doug right now. Back here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, and we're talking about more prospects that the Hornets could draft in this upcoming draft. I've got my draft cap on. I've got Rafael Barlow, host of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, our foremost expert on the NBA draft here by my side. And we're going to be talking about Brandon Miller, the small forward out of Alabama. A lot of people have him in the uh, third overall slot, 6'9", 200 pounds, uh, only a freshman uh, did you know a little underperformed in the in the uh, tournament? We'll talk about that as well. But first, Raphael, give me some of the strengths. Why should I be excited if the Hornets land at three? Why should they take Brandon Miller? Well, number one, I'm a big Brandon Miller fan. I've been on the Brandon Miller bandwagon for a while. Six nine can shoot the ball for the most part. He shot over forty percent from three on about seven attempts per game. I say for about 90% of the season, the numbers dipped after he had an absolutely terrible, terrible NCAA tournament. I think it was like historically bad. But overall, I think Brandon Miller, outside of Wimbayama, is the best fit for Charlotte. He gives you size. He gives you shooting, defensive versatility. I think there is upside as a secondary playmaker and ball handler. And I feel, and I've said it all season long, I think there's more to his game than he was able to show. Coming into this season, I thought his greatest asset was his ability to score in like the mid-range and and mid-post, and that was totally frowned upon in Alabama's offense. So he turned into like a three-point shooter, mm-hmm. which, again, he shot 38% on like seven attempts per game. So mm-hmm. I think he'll be able to unlock more of his skill set in the NBA. Do you think uh, that he ends up at the combine? Because, I mean, I, I don't think Victor – or Scoot would go to the Combine unless you you think Scoot may go to the Combine. Do you think Brandon Miller would go to the Combine? Well, I know Victor won't be there simply because he's still in season. And if they, if his team, the Metropolitans, 92. And he's, you know, he's got it locked up. What does he get? What do they do? You didn't need to go to the Combine. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you could say Scoot doesn't need to go or Brandon Miller. I don't expect them to go. 
Okay. If they do, maybe just interviews. I don't even know if they do measurements because right now it's almost like they're locks to go two and three. Only thing uh-huh. can happen is, oh, well, his wingspan is two inches shorter than we thought, and I, I could drop his stock. So I can't imagine either one of them being there. You mentioned interviews there. Obviously, there's there's controversy around Brandon Miller and his role in a uh, shooting death uh, that happened uh, that involved uh, one of his fellow teammates as well. How important do you think interviews will be for Brandon Miller when he's face-to-face with some of these front offices um, having to answer what I imagine will be some tough questions around uh, that particular incident and the handling of it? I honestly think he'll be fine. Teams have been doing their background research on him probably all season long. And from everything that I've heard about him is that he's a great kid. It may be a little controversial. I think if someone texted me and says, hey, I left a gun in the car, I think I'm going to bring it to them immediately also because I'm trying to get out of my possession. Mm. Especially if I don't know, you know, like if it's registered or anything like that. And I don't, and I'm based of everything I've heard, he had no knowledge that there was any type of altercation that was brewing. And I, I think he'll be fine. I think the biggest issue would be if a team is worried about the backlash of drafting him, not hmm. not how he interviews. That's that's the only thing I can think of. I'm interested in your take on the interview process in general because there was, and I don't know how much of this was smoke and, and how much of this was reality, but there, there was a little talk of LaMelo Ball not doing well in some interviews that he had with the Golden State Warriors and that potentially having an impact uh, on on him falling to number three uh, in, in the welcoming, very welcoming arms of the Charlotte Hornets. Talk to me about the interview process, what you know from talking to people, how important is it, um, and, and how much can it help? How much can it hurt someone's ability to climb up or down a front office's big board. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I think that if a guy comes off really cool and nonchalant, then I think he could be looked at as maybe this is not a guy that we think is a franchise guy. I've heard stories of players doing, at least to me, feel like it's dumb things, but like wearing a hoodie with the hood (laughs) over their head during the interview. I've heard a story Uh of a guy had two cell phones and they kept ringing. (laughs) I've I've heard crazy the Joe stories. Dumars. One, <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but I've heard one story where a guy wore a T-shirt that was not representing. I mean, I, I said he wore a uh, wasn't Pablo Escobar. It was uh, I don't know. Let, let's but say like a con- like a controversial figure, a controversial figure on the T-shirt, which led to the team asking him a certain amount of questions about the shirt. Did he represent? what was the guy wearing the shirt, which led to him going down a whole path of questions that he probably shouldn't have answered. But I do think that if the agency coaches the guy well, then he should be fine. There's some agencies that really coach guys. I know last year I kind of sat on a preparation interview where it was actually pretty cool because I'm, I'm 43 years old. So some of the people that are like front office figures, I know them when they were former players, but for 18 or 19 year old, they have no idea. So this team had like this chart of all the high ranking executives on. So they're like, if if you see this guy in the hallway, you shake his hand. He may not have the title as this person, but he is just as powerful and influential. So this, this particular player was very well prepared. I mean, he had a dress shirt. 
he was prepared. But I've heard situations where some guys are not prepared at all, and it has had an impact on where they fell in the draft because they just didn't leave a good impression. Raphael, you've brought some strong takes already uh, in these uh, little draft capsules that we're doing with you. Um, but I don't think that you're going to say anything more shocking on this podcast than that you are 43 years old. That is amazing. You you look <laughs> amazing for 43. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Drink a lot of water. <laughs> That's the secret, folks. Drinks a lot of water. Okay, we're going to talk about some uh, twins that look pretty young, too. Amin Thompson and Osar Thompson coming up uh, on a future show. Uh, thank you so much, Raphael. These have been great. I can't wait to talk more about the draft with you, my friend. Can't wait. All right, there's your breakdown of Brandon Miller. We're actually going to go back-to-back Barlow. He's coming back. He's going to talk about the Thompson Twins coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. So don't go anywhere. We'll learn really of the top four possible picks all in a row. Bang, bang, bang. Barlow, Branson, lots of bees. Hornets, we're swarming, we're stinging, it's all over the place. This episode is brought to you by Nissan Aria. Now, we also, in the last segment, are going to talk about Svi Mikhailuk. Me and Doug were working very diligently throughout his game log to give him the Electric Player of the Week once again by going back and trying to figure out what game would provide this award once again. I think we gave him the Electric Player of the Week when he scored 26 points against Toronto. He was 10 of 17 in that game. He was five of nine from three point land. So if we already gave it to him during that game, I want to give it to him for a win. That was a 20 point loss against Toronto on April 2nd. Let's go back to the last win outside of Cleveland of the season when they beat OKC. It was the end of that three game winning streak. Svima Kyluk went for 18 and also had eight assists in that one mm. in that game. Yeah. Eight assists. Something to note, by the way, you know, might be foreshadowing there a little bit in the last segment of lockdown Hornets, but Sfima Luke, we are going back to the well. I think, I think SU Sfee is the guy to is the only one to have won two most electric player. What of the an week honor. Award. So congratulations. We shake your hand, Mr. Sfee Mikhailuk. It was because he was electric. He was brilliantly fierce. He was fiercely elegant. He was stunningly powerful. He was elegantly powerful. He delivered on duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance. He's beautiful, but he is strong, just like <laughs> the 2023 Nissan Aria, which packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one EV, the all new, all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive things compared to SUV. feet shop now at NissanUSA.com. Thompson twin talk coming up next locked on Hornets. Welcome back to the locked on Hornets podcast. And it's a twin edition. We're twinning here on the locked on Hornets podcast. We're going to be talking about the Thompson twins. Amen. And Osar with the Locked On Podcast Network's foremost expert on the NBA draft. I'm, of course, talking about our good friend, Rafael Barlow. Rafael, thanks for coming back. These Thompson twins uh, look like they can jump out of the gym. I mean, athleticism all over the place. Uh, but I think a lot of people are going to have a, a very similar question about these Thompson twins. And so that's where I want to start. Uh, what makes them different? How do you tell them apart in terms of their game? I don't you know, looks, whatever. But in terms of their game, what's the difference between an Amen Thompson and an Osar Thompson? <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good question and uh I, I had a similar situation last year i was at the combine and 
Chris Murray and Keegan Murray were working out together and they had, I mean, they looked the exact same. And the only way to tell them apart is one is left-handed and one is right-handed uh-huh. with the Thompson twins. It's even more difficult because they look the same. And my mom is a twin. So I, I have a good eye for telling the difference between identical twins, mm-hmm. but I struggle with the Thompson twins, but Amon is a little bit more athletic. Okay. If, Asor is a top 10 percentile athlete. Amin is a top 1 percentile. But that's really the the biggest difference visually. I think Amin is a little bit of a better shooter. Amin, Asor is a better shooter, and Amin is a better playmaker. But to me, the gap isn't as big as others make it out to be. And it seems like both of them have a lot of work to do in terms of their shooting. How worried would you be as a front office about drafting these guys and their ability uh, to become, I don't know, I mean, I guess elite shooters, but also just competent shooters? Well, honestly, if I'm a general manager and I'm on like the back end of my contract and I need <laughs> like a like to a, for example, right like now, a Mitch Kupchak, yeah. I might pass on them. Okay. <laughs> and it may be selfish because I'm trying to keep my job and, and, and not have to move my family because I think there is going to be a major, major adjustment simply because one, they're 20 years old. They're playing in an overtime elite league, which is younger. Now they are playing against some of the best high school players, but they may have a two to three year age advantage over some of their peers. I think the shooting is going to be, a, a work in progress that's going to probably take two to three years. And I do think there's just going to be an even bigger adjustment to playing professional basketball as far as the NBA, as far as learning like defenses, because they've been able to, to really, I mean, they're skilled and they can pass the ball. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. they've been able to use their outlier athleticism and strength to, to their advantage, which that gap is going to be smaller once they get to the NBA. So they decide to go the overtime elite route, but ultimately they may end up in the G League anyway <laughs> because they've got to get some seasoning uh, before uh, they... I don't think that's the case. I, you don't think so? I, I you think, you think, you, you think no, they're going to... I gonna... think if you draft them that high and you put them in the G League, you're immediately under fire with, with the fan base and the front office. So I think if you draft them that high, you're just going to have to let them fight through their mistakes and and, and learn and... and in the NBA, because I think it's it sends a bad message if you send your top four or five pick to the G League. Well, I'm curious on what your thoughts are on Overtime Elite in general. Like, what is it? Uh, is it for real? Are are how familiar do you think front offices are with it? Uh, do you do you think that you know they that front offices are really going to get want to get a good close look at these guys because? You know, maybe they weren't tested enough in overtime elite. What's your just overall vibe on on overtime elite and and how more importantly, I think how overtime elite is perceived by front offices across the NBA? Well, I, I've heard pretty much every opinion on overtime elite, and I'll start with the good. the The best thing that I've heard about overtime elite is that it is an NBA setup, and that the the guys are learning how to be pros early. And you're playing against the best high school players. So it's not like you're playing, like for, if you're an overtime elite player, it's not like you're playing, you know, high school players at all from the same neighborhood. You're going against elite high school competition. So, you know, on one hand, one scout can say, 
you're judging these guys off the some of the best high school players in their class. The downside of it is, is that it's so new. And when anything is new, you don't really have a, you know, a, a great reference. I even think the NBA is still kind of struggling with how to evaluate the G League. Mm. And, and similar to the G League, you have a situation where you're not able to really see how the players perform in pressured environments, right? There's no, you know, Duke. You're, you're not going to Cameron Indoor Stadium in overtime elite. You're not going to play Kansas on the road. You're not playing like a, a, a Kentucky and, and Duke game at the beginning of the season with all eyes there. There's no conference tournament. So I think that is a big part of the the concern is a sense because you don't know how these guys perform in really pressured environments. But overall, I think it's it's still a new league. And I think the success of the Thompson twins can have a major, major role in how overtime is perceived in, in the future. Now, I know Amen is slotted as maybe more of a just a pure guard, whereas Osar may be like shooting guard, small forward. Any, I mean, do you do you feel like that those positions make any sense to you? I mean, do you see one of these twins maybe branching out into more of a three role, or are they both? You think pretty exclusively guards? I actually think that I had this conversation with the NBA front office executive and he was asking me the same thing. And I had mentioned, well, I think Ahmed is a better playmaker than a sore. And he said, is it based off of opportunity? And it really made me think if a sore is just used to playing with his brother and playing a complimentary role with his brother, but he's a, a very good passer. I think if, if you, if you separated him from his brother and we never knew about Amin, I think people would be saying a sword can be like a big point guard because he does pass the ball at, at that high of a level. But because he's playing with his brother, one has to be the primary, one is off the ball more. But I, I, I don't think there's a huge gap between them as playmakers and passers, and, and the numbers support that. I think their assist to turn, turnover numbers are very similar, and total assist is, is very similar. So um, I, I think they both can be primary ball handlers. Feels like Amen is pretty locked into the top five. Uh, do you think his brother is there a potential for slippage there? Um, honestly, I, I don't know. I think it can be a situation where a sewer has an opportunity to improve his draft stock and workouts, especially if he can shoot the ball mm. decently. I mean, that's the biggest concern. I mean, the numbers are bad, the shooting, it's like 30% from three, 30% on jump shots, below 70% from the foul line. But if he can shoot the ball well in workouts, then I, I think he could also be a lock to go in the top five. Okay, that's Rafael Barlow. Follow him on Twitter at Barlow500, and you can subscribe to the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast to get more of his big boards, his mock drafts, his overall draft expertise. Rafael, thank you so much for joining us. All right, more great stuff. Thanks again to Rafael Barlow. He's helped us out a ton this week. Doug sharing some of those thoughts and comments along back with him about the Thompson Twins, Brandon Miller, Victor Webinyaba to start it all off, and Scoot Henderson to boot. We appreciate everybody checking us out wherever you get your pods. And we also have one other segment to go. Don't miss out on more SU Sfee talk. I can't even say Sfee Mikhailuk's name without comparing him to a car anymore. It's the nickname that has stuck with him for the rest of his career, does the rest of his career, 
include him being with the Charlotte Hornets. We'll get to that in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash NBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash NBA. This episode is also brought to you by eBay Motors. Look for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to the My Garage tab and look for the green check to know the part will fit or you even get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from on the entire menu, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Svima Kyluk talk coming up next. Locked on Hornets. All right, Doug. So throughout this year, we've talked about two of SU Spee's electric games. And uh, I guess that makes up about 40%. <laughs> we're, we're almost we're almost all the way through. No, look, th- this is a guy that was just to throw in in a trade that the Hornets made at the deadline. Mm-hmm. He comes over and doesn't really appear in that many contests. He plays 24 minutes against the Spurs. That was a 10-point win. You know, did not play DNPCD, you know, outings for him. You know, starts to ramp it up a little bit, and then boom, against Indiana, the 73rd game of the season. So season's basically done. He gave us some nice performances, right? Like, he did the most that he possibly could with the opportunity given to him. One thing I wanted to point out, Something that I was very surprised to see. So he doesn't log anything more than three assists going up to the sixth to last game of the season. Okay. Doesn't log any more than three. And then that game against OKC, the last win of the three game winning streak they had where the first two came against Dallas, eight assists, five assists, five assists, seven, five, six on top of scoring in double digits. And every single one of those contests scoring in double digits, dishing it out, shooting pretty well. Yeah, man. I mean, he he showed everything he possibly could given the opportunity he was given. (laughs) Well, that's because despite only being in the league for four years, he was the grizzled veteran of that final stretch of Hornets basketball, right? I mean, he was taking the most shots uh, because he was 26 year old, 26 years old. And that'll do it for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, or how many years has he been? I think he was, what, was he a four-year guy at Kansas? I don't know how long he's been in the league, like six or seven years. Anyway, um, but he was the grizzled vet of the Charlotte Hornets at that point. And so, 
you know, he was taking a ton of shots. He was he had the ball in his hands a lot. So yeah, I mean, it's not like a crazy surprise that he had that many assists to me. But I think you can't read too much into it. And that was to me that was the warning that I took away from Steve Clifford's end of season press conference. It's like, hey, you can't read a ton into those final few games. Teams get into trouble when they look at a guy like Svee, you know, dropping nearly 20 points a game over that stretch, maybe a little above 20 points a game, you know, over the last six or seven games and knocking down three-pointers all over the place, the rebound numbers, the assist numbers. You go, wow, I didn't know that guy was capable of that. But then you dig down into the context and you go, okay, well, teams might not have been playing all their best players. You're winding down. Svee's getting a lot more opportunity. What happens? Can he do that same thing night in and night out when you are playing teams that are putting legitimate lineups out on the floor, when you are playing with other players like LaMelo Ball you know, it's and some of your other starters as well? It's a completely different story. And so you don't want to get into that mindset and go, all right, we got to find some money and pay this guy. I don't think the Hornets are going to do that. But salute to Svee, who was the throw in, as you said, came in, gave them some things that I think surprised me uh, in terms of his game. I mean, I knew he could shoot, but I didn't know. I mean, he was putting up reverse layups. Like he was doing some stuff off the dribble and pulling up uh, turnaround jump shots. I was like, okay, I didn't know that was step back three pointers. Okay. I didn't know that was in your game. He was the Shaq meme. Like, I'm sorry, sir. I apologize. I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with your game. So he surprised a lot of us. It was super fun. He'll probably go do that for some other team next season. Well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. May- maybe not even do that. Right. Like I, this is, this is going to be one of the guys that will always remember, you know, uh, maybe in, if you're a, a sicko, yeah, as a Hornet fan, but it, <laughs> it'll be that thing. Hey, remember the time at the very end of the season when it was clear they weren't going to make the play in tournament and Svee went off and yeah. started scoring a lot sicko of Sicko Brigade. Who are some other names in the Sicko Brigade? Gennaro Pargo, oh, yeah. I think, is the name for the Sicko Brigade. Well, did, like, they, yeah. did they have to perform well to to be in the Sicko Brigade, well, right? The, the like, Sicko Brigade, is it's not it's, – it's a player, again, that doesn't spend a lot of time here but makes an impact to people who are play, paying very – I'll give you a perfect example. And I, I thought he one. played yeah. well at times. You know, didn't play well all the time, but played well enough where you remembered his name if you're a sicko. Uh, Do you think you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. I have one. I have no clue who you're talking about. There's a few. I'm talking about Briante Weber is the sicko name for me. I was capital of the Briante Brigade. (laughs) I was capital A over there, man. Like number one fan, 100% loved Briante. Yeah, so the Cigar Brigade, full Great. of names that, you know, again, people that are paying close attention, the casual fan is not going to remember that name at all. Do you have any of those names? Oh, man. Capriante was so good. Doug, it's the first time you and ever you and I ever shared a mic on the Lockdown Hornets pod. Wow. You asked me about some roster decisions, and I told you how much I like Briante, and you said, well, I don't know if he's going to be on the team going forward. <laughs> like you were very realistic, <laughs> and I was very overt with my fandom of how just uh, just how much I like Briante. I've got one. Okay. If you look at his basketball reference page, it's someone that has logged exactly two games ever in his NBA career. Does that help you at all? You you want to give a guess? Oh man, two games no. ever. Okay. The Hornets were without any big man. I mean, it was ridiculous. They had zero big man depth. Enter Mike Toby, Virginia oh, big wow. man. Wow, that's a super, play. that's yeah. a super sicko name. <laughs> it's 
too, it's probably too much. You're disgusting. You, that name is disgusting to me. You are, that's yeah, a yeah. sicko. Even me as a sicko, I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's a little much. Because <laughs> I thought you were going to go with, I know, he, but it, it, the name that I was thinking, but I was like, no, he's played a lot more than two games was Johnny O'Brien, which I think yeah, Johnny O'Brien definitely good. belongs in the sicko brigade. He had one amazing game against Denver at Denver. I remember yeah. I was at, uh, it's, it wasn't called McAllister's. It's like right there on the. It's right there near the arena. It's closed now, but it was like that bar. Ah, oh, what the what the heck is that place's name? Um, but anyway, oh, Fitzgerald's or yeah, Fitzgerald's. I was okay. I remember the Johnny O'Brien game because I'm sitting there in Fitzgerald's and I'm like the only person trying to watch the Hornets and it was yeah. Johnny O'Brien going off against Denver. Anyway, sick brigade. Oh uh, yeah, Mike Toby had to play. Played against Toronto and Detroit. He played, uh, made only one field goal in his NBA career. He did grab a few rebounds. So that's what I'll remember. Mike Toby, you mentioned J-O-B. It, does Chris Douglas Roberts count for a sicko brigade member? Is he a little too prominent? Or, or does CDR, is he okay being in this category? I think so, for sure. Okay. Uh, and by the way, uh, I don't know that this made it on air, but Rafael Barlow told me that when he was getting started, he was in Charlotte for that Bobcat season with CDR. And uh, was was kind of in and around those circles, and and uh, loved loved them some CDR. So there's your Rafael Barlow tie-in. But I think so. If you asked a casual fan, like, yeah. do you remember Chris Douglas Roberts? You know, I Play think he's here. right yeah. on the line. I think that li- it might be the Chris Douglas Roberts line because I do think Perfect. that CDR some casual line. Bobcats fans would recall CDR, but not a ton. So I think the CDR line is probably where the Sicko Brigade begins. Uh, I right. was right I'll though. In, so 2018, 19, 19, 20, 20. Uh, almost right. So, uh, so five years in the league for Svee McIlot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could have. Yeah, sorry. Our research team, it wasn't great. All right, last <laughs> last couple things. Um, Julian Stone, who didn't do oh, anything. Oh, yeah. Really. Julian Stone, that's a, that's Mike Toby level. But I remember being at Hornets Media Day, Julian Stone gave me my favorite comment, one of my favorite comments ever when they were asking about his role. He said, my job is if anybody gives Kemba a hard time, I go in and I rough him up. Hey. Oh, oh my God. Hey. Here's a contract. Hey. Yes, sir. Thank you. We need more um, of that. We need more of that on, you know, when, when LaMelo starts driving more, he's going to get hit more. Need a couple of guys to step in and say, hey, my job, when they hit LaMelo, I hit him back. Um, all right, last thing, too. I just wanted to give you this brief anniversary moment. It's not great, so we'll just go ahead and end on this. As soon as we're done, we can go ahead and just walk on out of here. Earlier this week... It was mm-hmm. Wednesday of this week. That was actually the official date that the 2011-2012 Charlotte Bobcats oh, lost to the New York Knicks by, yeah, 20 points. And that was the date in which the Bobcats set the official worst winning percentage record in NBA history. All right, and Doug's gone with that fact. Thanks to Doug. Thanks to you. We appreciate you for making us your first listen. Now make your second listen game to game NBA. You can catch it anywhere you get your pods. That includes YouTube as well. And uh, again, Locked on Hornets first listen, game to game second listen. We appreciate them as always. And we appreciate you. Have a great weekend. We'll have more content for you. We'll continue the player recaps coming up next week. We appreciate it. Sicko's fee. 